You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Open God's holy word to the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, our focus today will be on verses 9 through 17. I'll be reading 15, 1 through 17. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my Father's commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, forgive us When we think your commandments unloving, hard, grant your spirit now that we might hear this command and every command, abide in my love. Father, in the name of Christ, 
we plead grace that we would obey that very command right now. Make real to us the love of Christ by your spirit. May we commune with Christ by his words now. In doing so, may we love one another and bear fruit for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. As we continue our study of the Upper Room Discourse, we must not forget the door by which we came into this Upper Room. The doors seen in chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And after entering through that door, we see our Lord, the Lord of glory, the eternally begotten Son of God, incarnate, stooping and washing the feet of the disciples. And now, after this, he's calling for those disciples to abide in his love. That's the central admonition of this text. Abide in my love. And here's the gospel bliss of this commandment. The love we are called to abide in already is. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. That's the door. And now once we're in the room, there's this command, abide in my love. He has loved them washing their feet as a testimony that he'll stoop further yet and wash them with his blood. Saints, we do not need to create the love of Christ, for us to thereafter abide in it. The love of Jesus is not like a bathtub that you need to fill up. It is an infant and eternal ocean that has always been and always will be. And He calls for us in His Word now to abide in that love. Look at the love that you're called to abide in. How are you loved? Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Those are the kind of words we might easily take for blasphemy were it not the Holy Son of Heaven that said them. Those who are truly God's children would never claim of their own that we're loved by Jesus in the same way that Jesus is loved by the Father. We wouldn't claim that. Unless our Lord said it was true. What does this mean? I think any child of God. Walking in God's ways would intuitively know. That you can't absolutize this truth. You can't totalize it. Instinctually. We understand that this cannot mean. That Jesus loves us. In exactly. Totally. Fully the same way that the Father loves Him. I think you get some inclination as to what it involves 
when you look forward to the high priestly prayer of Jesus that comes as the capstone to this upper room discourse. When Jesus prays, 17 and 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So as Jesus was sent, he sins. And as Jesus was loved, he loves. You see these two paired in his prayer in 17 and verse 23. I and them and you and me. You understand that Jesus is not in us in exactly the same way that the members of the Trinity are in one another. There's an analogy. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. We're sent and we are loved as the Son was sent and the Son was loved. I think that helps you understand why you cannot absolutize this. We are sent as Jesus was sent and we're not sent as Jesus was sent. You are not sent to be the gospel. Jesus was. Jesus is sent to be the gospel. We are sent to proclaim the gospel. Jesus is loved as the only begotten Son of God. We are loved as sons, adopted sons, in the Son. So we're not loved by Jesus as Jesus was loved by the Father absolutely, totally, and fully. But if even a fraction of the love with which the Father loved the Son is true of us, if if that's true of us in any measure, and it is, Jesus says so, how astonishing is the love with which we're loved that we're called to abide in here. No wonder Paul tells us He prays that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to understand the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So great is this love, you have to be strengthened to comprehend the measure of it. Look to the Son, risen in glory, Seated at the right hand of the Father, exalted above all, all enemies being put under His feet, given the name above all names, hear the Father eternally shouting in all things, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, and understand that is analogous, that is the same kind of way in some measure that the Son loves you. How the Father has loved His Son is in some ways the measure of how the Son loves you. That is the love you're being called to abide in here. See Jesus washing the disciples' feet. See Him in this upper room pouring out His heart to them. Hear his high priestly prayer of love. Abide in this love. And if you need practice, this would be my suggestion. In the weeks ahead, 
Come to this upper room discourse again and again. Read chapters 14 through 16 or perhaps 13 through 17. Read these chapters again and again and again. Read these words. Meditate on these words. Pray these words. And see if you don't come to understand something of what it means to abide in His love. How are we to abide in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ? To abide in Christ's love means to abide in Christ. And to abide in Christ means to have His words abiding us. 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Sinclair Ferguson writes, Abiding in Christ means allowing His word to fill our minds, direct our wills, transform our affections. In other words, Our relationship to Christ is intimately connected to what we do with our Bibles. 1 John 2.24 Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Don't try to connect directly with God You find communion with Christ abiding in His love mediated to you by His Word. But we must not only so be in the Bible that the Bible is in us. The Bible must be so in us that it comes out of our fingertips. How do we abide in Christ's love? One further answer Jesus gives here, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We abide in His love in the same way He abided in the Father's love. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see now, this is a way that we are loved by Jesus just as Jesus was loved by His Father. The Father in love for the Son gave commands to the Son. And Jesus, in love for us, gives His commands. Jesus gives us commands in love that we might abide in His love. 1 John 3, 24. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. You cannot pursue communion with Christ while avoiding the commandments of Christ. Some have tried to demystify what abiding means by saying it simply means obedience. Abiding means obedience. That is part of what abiding in Christ means. That is not the whole of what abiding in Christ means. But, this is true, you have no part in abiding in Christ if you will have no part in His commands. 1 John 2, 4 through 6. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his words, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How did Jesus walk? He abided in the Father's love by keeping the Father's commandments. Chapter 8, 
Jesus says that he always does what pleases the Father. But again, don't forget that your obedience does not spark Christ's love. Your obedience is an abiding in the love that already is. It is a loving Christ that lovingly commands and obedience abides in that love. Why has Jesus told us these things? You see the love in this. He's told us these things so that His joy may be in us and that our joy may be full, verse 11. Abiding in Christ's love means abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ means Christ abiding in us. And Christ abiding in us means His joy being in us as our own joy so that we might have maximal joy. Abiding in Christ's love, you see here, is more than sheer obedience. It's experiential. It involves communion with Christ. Communion whereby His joy becomes our own. And I understand something of what's being said here. Think along these lines. Jesus is the supreme worshiper of God. The Son incarnate shows us what it means to be a man worshiping God fully. And so he sings most powerfully, truly, and fully, more than David ever could, these refrains. All from Psalm 119. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 35. Verses 46 through 47. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. When you swim in Jesus' love, keeping His commandments, the result is not a miserable drowning, but a refreshing liberation. And the joy is found in the commands themselves. And if you cannot comprehend how commands can be loving, hear one from our text again, and perhaps you failed to even recognize it as a command. Abide in my love. Oh God, give us ears to hear that in every one of His commands. You need to hear that every one of Christ's commands comes with this refrain, this command attached to it, abide in my love. Every command, abide in my love. 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Can you see? Whatever that command is that you're thinking it's hard, there's some idol, there's something you want... Hear this, hear with that command, abide in my love. Jeremiah Burroughs writes, when we receive the commandments of God in the wounds of Christ, when we read the commandments of God in the wounds of Christ and receive them there, oh, how sweet 
they are then. So learn to hear this command in all His commands. Abide in my love. As we turn to look at the fruit of this love in verses 12 through 13, we turn from commandments, plural, to a commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. This is a summary commandment. It's a commandment that involves all other commandments. You can see this in James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Paul concurs. Galatians 5.14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If that's true, how does that jibe with Jesus' statement that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Matthew 27. Here's one answer. True obedience to the command to love one another is obedience to our Lord and thus an expression of our love of Him. It comes as a command and when you truly obey it, you hear that command and you understand with that command, you're obeying this command, abide in His love. There's worship and a love of God that happens if you are obeying any commandment, no matter where its referent is. If it's God's command, loving man is loving God. 1 John 4.21 This is the commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Second answer is, Love for your brother is the test of whether or not you really love God. How are we to love one another? Verse 12, again. Love one another as I have loved you. Earlier, we were in awe of the measure of love with which we are loved. Here, you're startled with the measure of love with which you are to love. Jesus loves us as the Father loved Him. And now we're to love others as Jesus has loved us. After washing their feet, which was an anticipation of the cross, Jesus told them, Do you understand what I have done to you? They couldn't have yet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. 13, 12 through 15. And it's on the heels of this act that Jesus goes on to say, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. 
You also are to love one another. By this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. How did Jesus love us? Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, I think you, you can sense the dissonance that there is there's sameness, but there's difference here. You're to love as Jesus loved. That does not mean you're to attempt to make atonement for the sins of your friend. You cannot. That would not express love for your friend or love to Jesus if you tried to do that. Love would point them to Jesus who can make atonement, who has made atonement. We are to serve one another, love one another in a way that is patterned after Christ's love. There is to be a selflessness, a dying to self, a living unto God, a serving others. Some have tried to contrast the love that we're called to here, laying down our life for our friends, with Jesus' love in this way. We're called to lay down our life for our friends here. Jesus laid down His life for His enemies. That's true, but that's not contrary to anything Jesus is saying here. We're told here that those for whom Jesus lays down His life are His friends. Yes, Romans 5.8 tells us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, but those sinners for whom he died, he refers to as friends. Abiding in Jesus' love, we're to love. And when we love, we further abide in his love. There's a cycle here. Abiding in Jesus' love empowers our love for others. Loving others, we then Abide further in His love. The beloved disciple would go on to write, 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 4.10 and 11, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. The love with which we are to love one another is His love being perfected in us as we abide in His love. Edward Clink put it this way. The love of God for Christians becomes the love of God between Christians. Abiding in Christ's love, we become conduits of His love. You are not left to your own resources to love your brother as Jesus loved him. You are to love them with Jesus' love as you abide in that love. Jesus gives you His love. So that you might love as he loved. Abiding in his love. You love as he's loved. Loving 
as He loved, we further enjoy abiding in His love. The way Jesus has spoken of what His love is and what ours is to be leads us into the nature of this love in verses 14 through 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus lays down His life for His friends. And those who abide in His love, obeying His commands, are His friends. This obedience does not make them friends. It identifies them as those who are His friends. They abide in this love that already is. D.A. Carson puts it this way. This obedience is not what makes them friends. It is what characterizes His friends. Again, this is language we can't absolutize and totalize. We are both Christ's slaves and His friends. As slaves we obey, and being friends, friendship doesn't erase this. It adds to it. What does it add? Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. What does friendship add to the relationship? It adds knowledge. There are two souls in the Old Testament of whom this language of friendship is used. The first we see is Abraham. He's called a friend of God. 2 Chronicles 27, Isaiah 41.8, James 2.3. He's a friend of God. In what way is Abraham a friend of God? Going with what we see here, I think it's clear. God makes known His purpose and His plans in His covenant with Abraham. Through Him, He will bless the earth. And you can see the privileges of this covenant and friendship whenever Yahweh is ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, we read, Genesis 18, 17-19. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing righteousness and justice so that Yahweh may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. The other soul is Moses. He's not said to be a friend of God in the exact same way that Abraham is, but the same intimacy and knowledge is there in Exodus thirty-three eleven. Thus Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This helps you understand why the language of friendship isn't reciprocal. We are told that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but that was used as a slur on his character by his enemies. The language of friendship is always in, in Scripture that we are his friends. It's not that we call Jesus our friend. So we kind of bring him down in a way. No, the, the idea is not that we share information with Jesus. Jesus, let, let me pour out my heart to you and disclose who I am to you. He knows. But the Lord of heaven and earth, who knows us perfectly, who is high above us, stoops and he calls us friends, disclosing his heart and his plans and his promises. 
Read this upper room discourse in this light and see if it doesn't become crystal clear to you what it means that we are friends of Christ. Jesus speaks to the disciples here in this upper room as friends, making known to them all that he's heard from the Father. He pours out his heart to them, holding out to them, not as he did to Judas, a morsel identifying him as a betrayal, but these gospel promises, these morsels identifying them as his friends. He dines at the table with them, not as their Lord, though he is head of the table, but he dines with them. Not as the Lord with them acting as his slaves. He dines at table with them as friends. Saints, when you come to this table, hear your Lord saying, Abide in my love, my friends. When you open the word of God, you are afforded opportunity by grace, to come into this upper room afresh. And for Christ to welcome you, saying, my friends, come. Learn of me, you who are weak and heavy laden. Learn of me. Hear my heart for you. Receive these promises. Hear my commands that you might abide in my love. Yes, do not deny that Jesus laid down his life for you when you were ungodly, when you were a sinner. But don't so affirm that that you forget that he laid down his life for you. For one that he counts as his friend. We know. We know God's plans. We know his purposes. Now let's look at the root of this love. In verses 16 through 17. The love. In which we are called to abide. Is rooted. Not in our choice, but His. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Be gone any idea that you spark this love. This love was before you were. Before you were created, this love already existed. You were chosen by the Father in the Son before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. And the Son chose you as well. Spurgeon said, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I would have never have chosen Him. And I am sure He chose me before I was born or else He never would have chosen me afterward. Now, Jesus is not saying our choice is non-existent. He is saying His choice is paramount, supreme, and the cause of ours. What Jesus says here is harmonious with what John writes. 1 John 5.19, we love because He first loved us. His love is the cause of ours. His choice is the cause of ours. Richard Sibbs writes, 
If we choose Him, we may conclude that He has chosen us first. If we love Him, we may know that He has loved us first. If we apprehend Him, it is because He hath apprehended us first. Whatsoever affection we show to God, it is a reflection of His first to us. If cold and dark bodies have light and heat in them, it is because the sun has shined upon them first. Some will object to this, saying that this has reference to their being chosen as apostles. Has reference to their being chosen for their office, not for their salvation. Let's see if that stands. This language of being chosen goes back to 13 and verse 11. 18, 13, 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Eleven were chosen. One of them was not. That one who was not was chosen for the office of apostle. Whenever he says here, I've chosen you. It's not in reference to the office of apostle. It has to do with being a friend for whom he laid down his life. Judas was not one of Christ's friends. He was not 1311 clean. He didn't enjoy the promises of the upper room. He had no part in Christ. Soon Jesus would tell his disciples. Verse 19, we'll come to it next week, Lord willing. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The disciples were not chosen from among the saints for an office as apostles. They were chosen out from the world as friends for whom he laid down his life. I keep a life application study Bible handy because I believe it's a good window into what many professing Christians would affirm. And it offers this comment. Jesus made the first choice to love us and to die for us. To invite us to live with Him forever. We make the next choice. To accept or reject His offer. Without His choice. We would have no choice to make. What that makes it sound as if. To me. Is as though God chose. Jesus chose everyone. And then some choose to choose Him back. But Jesus says He chose men out of the world. He chose those who were given to Him by the Father, and of those given to Him, He loses none. 17, 9 through 10. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom You have given Me, for they are Yours. All mine are Yours, and Yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Remember again the door by which we come into this upper room. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Jesus' choosing is not seed scattered liberally and broadly, densely across the face of the earth so that there is a hope for harvest but no certain guarantee of return. Jesus says He didn't simply choose them, but here's the nature of them. He, choose, he chose them and appointed. He ordained. He determined that those chosen 
should go and bear fruit and that their fruit should abide. Acts 13.48 tells you something of how this appointment works. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. There were some chosen men in that instance, who were bearing fruit. And there were other chosen men in that instance who were the fruit being born by them. As God appointed. Spurgeon also said that God's choice makes chosen men choice men. The chosen are not frozen. The soil of their heart has been warmed by the love of Christ so that the word germinates therein and bears much fruit. Jesus closes with two sources of this fruit in our life. Two ways that we abide in the vine and produce this fruit. They're tied together, inseparable. Verses 16 through 17. So that whatsoever, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it you. These things I command you, so that you love one another. Connect this with what Jesus said in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When the word abides in you, that shapes the petitions you lift up to your Father. And those kind of prayers are heard and answered. When Jesus' word abides in us and we pray accordingly, those prayers are heard. Those prayers are fruit of abiding in Christ and they are a fruit producing fruit. 1 John 5, 14-15 This is the confidence that we have toward Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. How do you ask it according to His will? His words abide in you. And if we... And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Jesus says then that He has told us these things, verse 17, that we will love one another. He has told us. We have words of Christ so that we will love one another. The root of our love for one another is Jesus' word which abides in us so that we love one another with His love. If we abide in Jesus' love, we love. And we abide in Jesus' love by His word abiding in us. And His word abiding in us means not only promises and truths, but commands. And one of those commands being to love one another. Commands which we will obey if we love Him and abide in His love. The root of Jesus' love is His choosing. Which is really saying the root of His love is His love. It's not to be found in us. It overflows from Him as a fountain of goodness and grace. The root is not in us, it is in Him. And likewise... The root of our love for one another and our love for Him, the root of our love is not ourselves. 
it is Him. Jesus loves us, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. And because the Bible tells us so, we love Him. And we love one another. Dear saints, abide in the love of our Lord. The unfathomable, unsearchable love of Christ. Learn to keep all His commandments as they are a summons to abide in His love. And abiding in His love, keep His command. His command to love one another as He has loved us. Abiding in His love, you then can love as He has loved. With His very love. You can do this because you are a friend of Christ. And He's made Himself known to you. He makes Himself, His promises, His commands, His decrees known to you. You know Him, not because you chose Him, but because He chose you. And so because you know Him, because you know His grace, because you know His love, because you abide, love one another. Sinner, though the church is an imperfect, fallible, weak representation of this love, testimony of this love, ask yourself, is there anything like the love of Christ for His friends? Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for, the sin, for sinners. And this promise is extended to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And believing, you then may abide in His love. And abiding in His love, you will come to know on the other side that that love has always been and is the cause of your love. Let's pray. Holy Father, grant us strength now to collectively, we are too small and frail individually, we are too small even collectively, but grant us collectively to know something of the height and depth length and width of the love of Christ. Grant us to love it as we become conduits of Christ's love to one another. Singing psalms and hymns and admonishing one another. And spiritual truths in your word. Filled with your spirit. Abiding in Christ. Father, For the glory of Christ. For making Him known to this world. Grant grace now that we would so abide in Your love and love one another that it would be seen we are His disciples. Father, by Your Spirit right now, just more and more deeply in this hour As we lift up our voices in the week ahead, may we just continue to abide in your love and abiding bear fruit. You've chosen and appointed us 
for this means. And so we walk forward by faith in your word, abiding in your love, knowing those who abide bear fruit, trusting you. All glory and praise be to you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.